In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of all ages, Amen. So, like I was saying, our, our, our whole lives in the church revolve around all of these different feasts and fasts. In fact, if you look carefully, uh, you don't need to look carefully, if you look even just at a glance, you'll find that every day runs on a, on a, a daily liturgical cycle. Every week runs on a weekly liturgical cycle and the year runs on a, week, on a yearly liturgical cycle. Um, and so the, the daily cycle in the morning, we celebrate the resurrection in the morning prayers at, the, at, you know, at sort of 9 a.m. just before you're going to work when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles. We're, celebra we're celebrating the Holy Spirit and his working with us and us working with him and that and that relationship and so on and I won't go through it and then the weekly cycles we fast Wednesdays and Fridays and Sunday is the day of resurrection the the gospel of matins of of the of morning raising of incense on Sunday almost every single Sunday of the year there's a few exceptions four or five exceptions out of the 52 weeks 52 Sundays in a year is going to be a gospel of resurrection. Whereas all of the other raising of incense gospels, evening and morning, are gospels of repentance. But on Sunday, on Sunday is the fruit of our repentance of the whole week, and we're celebrating the resurrection. So there's these, there's these kind of cycles which keep us constantly in the life of Christ. You know what I mean? And if, you, and if you fall off the bandwagon and you get distracted by the things of this world and it happens to all of us, no, but no problem. There's, there's going to be a sixth hour prayer. And if you miss the sixth hour prayer, don't worry about it. There's a ninth hour prayer. And there's, there's always going to be something coming, something coming uh, uh, that we can, by which we can participate in the life of Christ. And our salvation is found in sharing in the life of Christ. And so Jesus is born um, and we celebrate his birth. And I was mentioning this around on, on the Feast of the Nativity is, is that the Feast of the Nativity in the, in, the, in the Orthodox churches at large and in the Coptic Orthodox Church specifically is not a day. It's not January 7th or December 25th. It's a season. We celebrate for eight days until the circumcision, Feast of the Circumcision of our Lord. We'll, we'll be celebrating. So for eight days, we will be celebrating the Feast of the Nativity and we'll be singing in joyful tunes and we'll be all of the responses will be nativity related right and then comes the feast of circumcision and then uh, you know uh, just a, a, a few days five five six days later we're celebrating theophany and then we celebrate theophany again for a season for three days until the feast of the wedding of cana of galilee why the feast of the wedding of cana of galilee well let me explain so the word theophany is a is a compound word theo and phania theo god phany revelation right or sometimes it's referred to as epiphany i'm not a semantics person call it whatever you you like epi like late or end phany revelation the late revelation god is revealed right and so the feast of theophany has been celebrated in the church since the, the since the birth of the church since the first century however this is very, a very interesting fact the church has 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 used different feasts or different parts of the life of christ to celebrate the feast of theophany 
throughout throughout the unified church so the, the, the for, for the first four 400 years so in some places they would celebrate the the fe- feast of theophany or epiphany with the baptism of Jesus because when Jesus was baptized a voice was heard from heaven this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased Jesus was seen in 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 the waters of the Jordan and a dove rested upon him and the holy trinity is revealed in the feast of theophany Jesus is baptism however some other churches used the wedding of Cana of Galilee to celebrate theophany right and this is pre-schism this is this is really early church stuff, right? Um, uh, not, none of the churches now use the wedding of Cana of Galilee, but we do because we continue to celebrate Theophany until we celebrate the feast of the wedding of Cana of Galilee. Why do you think the feast of wedding of Cana of Galilee has anything to do with the revelation of God? Well, at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, Saint Mary says to Jesus, she says to him. They've run out of wine. And he says to her, woman, what does that have anything to do with me? And then he, and then he can't refuse his mother. So he's, he goes to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the servants and tells them to fill the water pots to the brim. These, these very large water pots that you had for purification purposes. And he says, take a cup of it and give it to the master of the feast. And it's turned to wine. And so we see here... In, in that miracle, we see the divinity of Christ. And it's the first miracle that Jesus, that Jesus did or that, that is recorded that Jesus did in public. But it says this is the first miracle that he did, right? Which reveals his divinity. So in, in the wedding of Cana of Galilee, we're celebrating the revelation of the God-man Jesus, that he is revealed as fully human and fully divine. So it's another theophany. Right, and so in some early churches, but nobody does that anymore. They they used to when they would say Theophany and they would celebrate it as a great feast, as a major lordly feast. Uh, they would be celebrating the wedding of Cana of Galilee in the Orthodox in the Coptic Orthodox Church. The wedding of the uh, Cana of uh, uh, um, feast of Cana of Galilee is a minor lordly feast. Anyways, the difference between major and minor feasts is something we could discuss later. Uh, somebody you can ask, come and ask me later if you want. There's another feast which was also used to celebrate Theophany or Epiphany, and it's still used in the Western churches to celebrate Epiphany. They celebrate Christmas on the 25th, and then on, the, on January 6th, they celebrate Epiphany. What, what, what do they celebrate? Some Western churches will celebrate the bas- baptism of Jesus. Other Western churches, you know what they're celebrating? They're celebrating the Magi coming to worship Jesus, which we said the, in, the, in the liturgy sermon today was a, when Jesus was probably about two years old, right? So this idea of the Magi coming to visit Jesus in the manger at the stable is cute, but historically likely to be inaccurate. Of course, our icons, if you're referring to our, our icons, our, our icons were never intended to be historically accurate. They were intended to give us a, a spiritual message. Um, but in any event, Right? Why? Because when the Magi, kings from the east, come and they worshipped him, they declared him king. And by their gifts, they declared him God and king and also he who will suffer for all of humankind. So again, God is revealed. Theophany. Right? Anyhow, what's re- here's something that's just a little tidbit, which is really cute. When we celebrate Christmas on January 6th and the Western Church is celebrating 
Theophany or Epiphany on January 6th were both in, for in, in the Roman Catholic Church and in the Coptic Church, to my knowledge, if I remember correctly, were both reading the Gospel of the Magi. Right? Thus, I'm not saying like, you know, we're united or anything like, you know, don't, 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 don't take this and run, you know, but, uh, but interesting, it's an interesting fact. It's an interesting fact and it probably has historical roots. I don't think it's just, just coincidence. Nonetheless, I don't know the history behind, uh, behind the choice of the gospel readings. But anyhow, so Jesus's baptism. When you read in the gospel of John, you find Jesus' baptism is in all four Gospels. But when you read about it in the Gospel of John, specifically uh, John chapter 1, verse 35, it says that Jesus went into the water and then he came out. And if, if um, I'm just going to come to the screen here to read. Again, the next day, John stood with his two disciples. Um, maybe it's just before it. Maybe it's verse... Yes. Verse 33, I, I was mistaken, right? Um, so the part before St. Uh, John the Baptist is witnessing to the baptism of Jesus. And he says, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Twice, St. John the Baptist in the Gospel of John mentions that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and remained upon him. This is extremely, extremely significant. And St. Cyril of Alexandria goes to great lengths to explain this. And that's what I want to share with you because for me personally, this was life-changing. So after I read this, I read this when I was like serving Sunday school in grade eight or something. So I walked into my Sunday school class and I told them, look, the answer to any question you're ever gonna get asked in Sunday school from now on is gonna be the Holy Spirit. And the answer, I, I didn't actually say something, it says the answer to any question you have in life to anything you, any, anything you want to know is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is dwelling within you. What more could, what more could you want? What more could you ask for? What more? So then the mistake, that was the biggest mistake I ever made in serving Sunday school because from then on, anytime I asked a question, these, these rambunctious, awesome grade eight kids would put up their hands and go, Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and for like the next three years that I served them, the answer to everything and anything was Holy Spirit. Are you coming to youth meeting tonight? I don't know. We'll ask the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, these were the same kids that were selling, selling weed to other kids in my Sunday school class. You know, you see the hands moving from behind their chairs. I've been very successful in ministry my whole life, as, as, uh, as you can clearly see, right? I love them. They're great guys now. They're all in their mid-30s, and uh, they're all in their mid-30s doing great things for God. Most of them have stopped selling weed. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, we have a great relationship. They, they, whenever I visit or they visit, we, uh, we have a great time, right? But they got it. They got it. And what they, even these guys got it, right? And what they got is what I wish for you to get, which is what one of the, th the things, I mean, to think that we understand any of the life of Christ c completely is, is, is madness. You know, how can we... How can we wrap God up in a, and put a bow on him and say, I get him, you know? But if, if we can get just this, 
it could change our lives the way it changed mine and the way it changed the lives of those uh, of those uh, of those great boys saint john the baptist says and he remained upon him so saint cyril of alexandria says like did jesus really need to receive the holy spirit so he jesus is a member of the holy trinity he's a person of the, the trinity the second person of the trinity and he's in full union with the father and the holy spirit so so why did the the holy spirit descend on him and remain upon him so he goes on to explain he goes on to explain that the the necessary ingredient for our salvation the salvation of humanity is the holy spirit and he and he he goes to he goes on to explain much more succinctly than i will that when god created the world he created it perfect and it was beautiful and it was perfect and there was nothing wrong with it and he gave humanity freedom and humanity chose to disobey God and rupture the relationship between humanity and God, the relationship of love between us and him. And so God allowed us then to enter into a, the chaos of this world where we were, we were left to our own means. And within just a few generations, we get to Genesis 6, where the description there is the, the, the thought of every man was evil and all the time sorry not the thought the intents of the heart of every man were evil all the time like within just a few generations it, the, the world went berserk in fact the very next generation Cain kills Abel right and humanity is self-destructing and so God sees this and he says okay well now they know like when they were in paradise they didn't know how bad it could be now they know how bad it could be let's give them a fresh start with Noah he takes Noah puts him in the ark right wipes the world clean noah should know how bad things could can become right and then they will come back to me and they will return to me uh and so on well that doesn't work either so then he gives them laws to live by the law of moses right do this don't do that and so on right but then no one keeps the law no one keeps the law so he sends them prophets don't forget to keep the law. If you don't keep the law, if you don't stop worshiping idols, that this is going to happen. What do they do? They kill the prophets, right? And then so the, all of these different external influences to bring us back to God, none of them worked. Not that God didn't know that, but he was leading humanity by the hand. He was leading humanity by the hand to show us that the only thing that will work to bring us back to God is the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within us, within, within each person and drawing us back to him. Like St. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, he says, Do you not know, O man, that it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance? Jesus, when he's describing the Holy Spirit to his disciples in the Holy Spirit chapters, he says that the Holy Spirit is given to convict us of sin. Right, So it's the movement of the Holy Spirit. It is the goodness of God and His Holy Spirit dwelling inside you and in me that leads us back to repentance, that leads us back to Him. But how is that going to work? Now, humanity is, is laden with sin, is completely sinful. And how will, there be, how will there be a place, a dwelling place for the Spirit of God in the hearts of, human, of, of humans? How wicked they have become. So... God says, I will become man. God becomes man, a perfect God and perfect man. 
and he receives the Holy Spirit, St. Saint, Saint Cyril says, ought not for himself, like not for himself, but for us to create a new pathway. Like Jesus is like a trailblazer, you know, setting forward a trail, a path, setting that we should also be baptized, be born anew and receive the Holy Spirit. Um, anybody here ever f flown a helicopter before? Anybody flown a helicopter? Um, uh, I've, I've never, like I don't have a license to fly helicopters, but a long time ago um, I was working in the bush um, and uh, doing like, a, and we would do rural clinics. Um, and so we did so many of them that uh, one day I asked the helicopter pilots if I could fly. And so we we're like in the air. So they said, sure. And this and that. So, you know, it continued. Like I just sat there and held the whatever it's called, the like steering wheel thing. Right. You know, I don't see. I don't even know what it's called. And uh, anyway, so I'm holding the thing. And then finally we got to where we're going. So it goes to me like, do you want to land? And I'm like, uh, sure. You know, I didn't think that that was a good idea. But anyways, so, yeah. So here we go. So we start trying to land. And uh, you have to land, you have to land perfectly parallel to the ground. Like if you land like, you know, so that your the propellers don't like smack and smash into the ground. So you have to find a level piece of ground to land on, like, cause we're just landing in a field. Anyway, so he like looks out the window and he says, okay, let's land over there. So do this, do that. So I start doing what he's saying, but I'm not doing it perfectly. And so necessarily I keep bringing the helicopter down wonky. So he's like, pull up, pull up, pull up. So we'll go back up again, right? And then finally, of course, he said, okay, let's switch spots. And he landed the helicopter, right? But it proved to me that you can only land a helicopter in like very specific circumstances, right? God is like the spirit of God was 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 like in Genesis 1 3 was hovering over the waters and the the spirit of God is hovering over the city of Toronto and the the spirit of God is hovering over you know your neighborhood and he's looking for a place he's looking for a home where he can land and then this is the key word that Saint Cyril says because because the Holy Spirit visited people of the Old Testament. He visited the prophets and they prophesied. King David, in fact, in Psalm 50 says, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. So he had an experience of the visitation of the Spirit, but he also had an, an experience of the Spirit leaving him. And he was so distressed about it. He says in his distress, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. So, so that's why St. Cyril is really emphasizing the, this business of the Holy Spirit descended and remained upon him, right? And, uh, and, and you'll find this in St. Cyril of Alexandria's commentary on the Gospel of John, the homily in which he's talking about Ch John chapter 1, verses 33 and 34, right? And so the, the Spirit of God is also looking for a place to come and to remain with you, in you, right? So Jesus... When he's baptized, he receives the Holy Spirit and he, he creates a new path for humanity that has become normal now that humans should be born again in baptism and then receive the Holy Spirit and be sealed by the Holy Spirit. What's this business of the seal of the Holy Spirit? You see the tables that you're sitting on have tablecloths, right? Imagine that these tablecloths were, were impermeable, were, were waterproof. If somebody spills a glass of water, it wouldn't, it wouldn't touch the table. Why? Because the table is covered 
with the, with the tablecloth. If you were to spill some, I don't know, some, some pasta tomato sauce or something, something that could stain, it wouldn't touch the table. Why? Because there is a thin layer of protection between the table and all of the outside influences, all of the outside things that could, forgive me for the word, pollute the table. St. Cyril also uses that word several times in his liturgy, liturgy, the pollution of our souls, right? And so when a person is baptized, in, at least in the Coptic Orthodox rite, after that they're chrismated or they are uh, uh, anointed with the Holy Chrism and they receive the Holy Spirit and they're sealed with the Holy Spirit from head to toe. Folks, this is a game changer. If you get this, if you get this, this ought to remove almost 100% of the guilt associated with, with, with sin in, in our lives, right? Because the sin then, the, the, the pollution that we get exposed to in this world, whether we expose ourselves to it or, or, or other influences and expose us to it is neither here nor there, never touches you. Who is protecting you? The Holy Spirit of God himself is protecting you is like this outer layer and you'll find the book of revelation several times it comes up those who have been sealed by the seal of god right and the early church father specifically uh, bishop victorianus this beautiful commentary on the book of revelation speaks very eloquently about this seal being the holy spirit which protects you Right? So I'm, I've, I've managed through my choices and things of my choices and things not of my choices to cover myself with filth. And this pearl of great price, my soul that Jesus died for, is now covered in mud and dung. Right, But it's, nothing touches me. And through the processes of repentance and confession, through the process of sanctification, all of that stuff which ought not to be there is removed. But the integrity of, of your soul is in the hands of God and God alone. If you have been baptized and chrismated and received the seal of the Holy Spirit. So then the Holy Spirit becomes our guide. The Holy Spirit becomes our companion. The Holy Spirit becomes our protection and all of this, the, the door was opened for all of this and completed in Pentecost. But it was the door was opened in Theophany. When Jesus received the Holy Spirit, like St. Cyril says, ought not for himself, but for us. So this is the feast of the Holy Spirit. This is the feast of, of us rejoicing that Jesus has forged a new way, has made a way for us to receive His Spirit, right? And this is kind of like the introduction or the preface or the prelude to Pentecost in which the Holy Spirit is given to the whole church and again to remain in them. And that's why this is my favorite feast of all of the, of all of the Lord's feasts, not that one is better or worse or whatever than another, but because the significance of it is so is so personal. All of the all of the feasts may have very personal uh, significances, but to me, it's very personal that God Almighty dwells within me, and that was that door was opened to me in Jesus's baptism when He Himself revealed Himself and revealed this new way. May God give you and give me to enjoy this feast 
Um, and if you want to read more about this, like I was saying, you can find it in St. Cyril's commentary on uh, the Gospel of John. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.